This is Carolina Business Review. Major support provided by the South Carolina Ports, the state's most significant strategic asset, positively influencing economic development, job growth, the environment, and our communities. Colonial Life, providing benefits to employees to help them protect their families, their finances, and their futures. High Point University, the premier life skills university focused on preparing students for the world as it is going to be. Sonoco, a global manufacturer of consumer and industrial packaging products and services with more than 300 operations in 35 countries. Distrust and suspicion are at the highest levels than maybe they've been in several years, if not decades. I'm Chris William, and welcome again to the longest-running and most widely-watched source of Carolina business, policy, and public affairs, seen each and every week across North and South Carolina for more than 30 years. Thank you for supporting this dialogue. In a moment, we have a panel of insiders that we affectionately call, and they are going to wade in on public trust and where it is now. And we start right now. Major funding also by Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, an independent licensee of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association, and Martin Marietta, a leading provider of natural resource-based building materials, providing the foundation on which our communities improve and grow. On this edition of Carolina Business Review, Christopher Chung from the Economic Development Partnership of North Carolina, Susie Shannon of the South Carolina Council on Competitiveness, Donald Thompson from the Diversity Movement, and Sarah Fawcett of the United Way of the Midlands. Welcome again to our program. This is the second week that we're together, and we're, I think we're still kind of living off the great emotion of actually being together. Yeah, it's love exciting. having yep. you guys in here. Um, Edelman does a survey, advertising agency, marketing uh, research, does a survey around trust, but they do, they've been doing this for several years now, and I have in front of me, it's called the Trust Top 10, and I wanna read part of it to you because it's important, and this is a results of the survey from uh, 2022, and the Edelman Trust 10 includes the number one item that they identified as being most crucial at this point is distrust is now society's default emotion. I'll let that sink in for a second. Distrust is now society's default emotion. Nearly six in 10 say their default tendency is to distrust something until they see the evidence it's trustworthy. Another 64% say it's now to a point where people are incapable of having constructive and civil debates about the issues. Uh, that's quite an indictment. Sarah, how, did, how, does that, how does that wash over you? I mean, we do not assume goodwill anymore. We don't assume goodwill. It used to be, I think it used to be, that you assumed out of the gate that someone was, was coming from a point of, try, of going for the common good or uh, trying to understand you know, questioning an issue or bringing something up to understand meaning. We don't, we don't assume goodwill anymore. I don't assume that you're coming from a place of goodwill. I assume you're coming from a place of suspicion. And I, you know, how do we get that back? 
Don, how does this wash over you? What's what's the genesis of that? Well, I don't know the genesis, but I know the world we live in right now is, and, and I'll use politics as an example, right? It's always a verbal food fight, right? It's not a debate on the specific issues. It's a debate on who can yell the loudest, who can demean the most. And what we've done is we've allowed in our culture for that negativity to be front and center. And then what's buried is those of us that wanna to work together to try to solve problems. And so that's the current space that we live. How do we address it? How do we solve it? One of the things I think is super important is that for those of us that are in leadership and have the opportunity to dialogue with others, that we create the model, if you will, that just because we may disagree, I wanna know what's behind the disagreement because there might be some common ground. And at some point, business leaders, uh, school leaders, politicians, need to take a step back and say, what are we actually trying to accomplish for the people that we say we're going to serve? Chris, what do you think? Well, one, it's 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 a sad statement, right? I mean, as, as someone with young kids, I hope that by the time they're of adult age, these statistics look a little bit more encouraging. But I think distrust at that level really inhibits the ability of any society to work together when major challenges present themselves. And I think we saw a little bit of that during the pandemic, unfortunately. There's going to be another COVID, whether it's a pandemic or some truly global challenge that we have to address or, or we're all going to sink. If we don't have that fundamental trust between individuals and citizens and communities and countries, that's not going to help us overcome what could be the next existential mm -hmm. threat facing not just North Carolina or South Carolina or the United States. Sure. I mean, it could be global humanity. And, and I don't know what that looks like, and I hope that's not in my lifetime. But if none of us are trusting one another and we're all kind of in it for ourselves, that's not a good recipe for the kind of collaboration that's necessary to really overcome the biggest challenges facing humanity. And Susie, this is not asking you to comment on this, but you, you can't help think the congressional debate around raising the debt ceiling. And I, again, I don't want to ask you if you want to handicap that that's, we're going to go over the edge on that like we did in 2012. But, you know, you do think of evidence like that. You do think of moments like that and how crucial it, it, to have that currency of trust is this, as we just talked about, is this cynicism or is this skepticism? What do you think is driving this? Well, speaking as a, um, a human who's, I wouldn't call myself Pollyanna, but certainly optimistic, mm. right? Or hopeful, I should say, more than anything else. And then of course, coming from an organization where I have a lot of passion and commitment where the collaborative framework is in our DNA. So it's hard for me not to think that we can't have these public private bridges to overcome. It, we know that everyone who comes in the room is gonna have some self-serving agenda. That's just a fact of life. Mm -hmm. All of us are gonna do that. It's just how much of that can be checked at the door so that at least you're bringing some semblance mm -hmm. of looking for that common good, um, being hopeful, trying to dispel that cynicism. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, if we can all at least agree on a collective impact model, so we, we may all have different ways of getting to a common goal, at least if we're all in the room. But that means we've got to throw out the echo chamber, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. We've got to, we get back to inclusion. Every, all those voices have to be in the room because if we're just hearing what's bouncing off the wall, what's bouncing off the mirror, then we're, ne we're never going to advance forward. So, so this would be a good place to insert the number two thing that, that ro rose to the top of this Edelman Trust Survey for last year. And I want to read it. Of the studied institutions, and by the way, this survey is pretty exhaustive, 36 countries, mm -hmm. almost 100,000 respondents, all different demographics. The number two uh, most important result in this survey was of the studied institutions, business is once again the most trusted. 
So, Don, uh, since you are in boardrooms and in sure. C-suites um, advising, should business be the lead? And how does business be the convener when sometimes you look at business and we know singularly what businesses are trying to do is they're trying to raise revenue and, and, and go down that road. One of the things about having a very specific goal and function is it crystallizes your behaviors in order to achieve it. So businesses are to create shareholder value to grow and build revenue, right? Grow market share. Because of that, if you now have to treat employees with a more empathetic lens to retain them so you can meet those revenue goals, CEOs and C-suite leaders are adopting that empathetic model in order to win in the marketplace. If you have to change your branding such that it is more inclusive, organizations and companies will do that. If you think about 10, 15, 20 years ago, there weren't a lot of people in TV ads that looked like me. But if you look at advertising today, it is more inclusive. Why is that? Because companies want to sell more product to more people. Therefore, they're changing their internal mechanisms to meet that objective. So business, quite frankly, is actually the most pure form of change because the targets are clear and stated. And then in order to meet those targets, mm -hmm. you have to move with what is going on in the current demographics of our country. And there are more and more people that are from multicultural backgrounds than ever before. It, and it, businesses are working on that. And, and that can't hurt. But let, let, let me ask you this way. Sure. And don't want to go too far. I, want, I promise going to get everybody a chance to jump in. Because I know you can't wait. Um, <laughs> is the idea that DEI, and let's talk about DEI because sure. we were talking about last week. It does bring to the table, obviously, a lot of different points of view. And you have referred to that as part of a solution. That's tactical, though. How do we get to a strategic, what's the strategic core of why we don't trust each other. If you think about um, relationships, right? If you've been hurt in a relationship before, you bring that baggage forward to the next one. So I think as a society, we've allowed ourselves with all the bots and the different things and all the social media and all the selling that's done in digital, right? That we've gotten taken, whether it's by a politician that lied to us, whether it is an organization that didn't deliver on their promise with their product. And that created fear, uncertainty, and doubt that everyone was gonna treat me that way. So what we have to do is we have to get really practical. So that means when I'm working with a leader or someone on my team and they may not be hitting the standard of business excellence, do I assume they're a bad person that they wanted to mess up on purpose? Or maybe there's something going on in their life that's contributing to it. So one conversation at a time, we have to be more mm -hmm. thoughtful. Chris, you're, you're uh, in government. Of course, it's a nonprofit, mm -hmm. different hybrid type of, of, of agency, but it, not many people have much credibility with government or that don't have much trust in government. So when you hear these readings, when you think about this issue that we're talking about, how do you approach it? How do you think the place to close the gap and to rebuild? Well, it's interesting because I think one of the other Edelman findings is that the, the respondents feel like businesses really should be the ones leading the way on, on some of these major societal issues, which is interesting. goes to Don, some of Don's earlier points about how people perceive businesses. I, I look at the, the trust issue playing out, at least in our world in economic development right now. It's interesting, this whole debate between companies allowing people to work remotely versus work in the office, and there's a lot, that trust is built into what a company decides to do, right? Because there are plenty of CEOs on record saying they don't trust their employees to be productive. Mm -hmm. 
when they're working from home, even if this data may show otherwise. And mm -hmm. I think overcoming that level of distrust, that's going to be really interesting because I think so much of where this remote work and hybrid ends up playing out is, is going to be, because it's going to boil down to some of this trust that employers have with their employees. But I don't think it's a good policy for CEOs to be out there saying, hey, I don't, I don't trust my people to be doing what we need them to do when they were not showing up in the office. I, I don't think that's a probably a wise strategy in this kind of labor market that we're in right now. Sarah, Sarah this seems like this would be a great spot for the not-for-profits and the philanthropic, you know, I don't want to say the softer science of, because you all are very strategic about things, sure. but it does seem like it's a safer place to have that dialogue for you to be the convener so, of, well, then what's the lack of trust and how can we help you? Build that. Build. Yeah, yeah, and the, and and how, you're exactly right. And how do how do we help to build that? You still have the same issue of where what's our starting point, you know. And as I've been thinking through this and listening to this discussion, I'm thinking that the societal infrastructure that we have today, which really is only, it's less than 20 years old, you know. When you think about the iPhone was introduced in 2007, and all the accessibility and information and mm -hmm. all of that that's at hand. It's been here less than 20 mm -hmm. years. And you think about the, the, the societal infrastructure for the, the 50 years before that. You know, we've had so much rapid change in all of the things that allow us to express ourselves or get our information from or, or how to implement solutions, you know, um, th that we haven't caught up. We haven't caught up. We haven't had an, we, it, it's changed mm -hmm. so rapidly. And we as a so the infrastructure's changed very rapidly, and we as a society haven't been able to keep up with that. So I don't want to be too simplistic. Mm -hmm. Are you saying that our technology is way ahead of our ethics? Yeah, that's it. Do you think it'll eventually catch up? I think it depends on if we can, uh, if we can become more adept at the changes that keep coming. I didn't say that very gracefully, but <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's. It, I think we as a society either mm -hmm. either we've got to, well, we have to catch up to where we are, but then we've got to be able to continually rapidly evolving. But it all goes back to that, where are we, where are we starting from and where do I assume you are coming right. from? Right. Yeah, and technology, if you look at something like social media, what that's allowed people to do is pursue their own sources of information. There's no longer these authoritative, mm -hmm. in, in, in authorities of information that provide neutral, arbitrate information. Everyone is pursuing whatever reinforces their worldviews, and that goes back to some of the Edelman findings, which is people no longer, they, they have such different opinions and information because they're not sharing the same common set of information from which to derive those opinions. And that's, that's right. a problem in politics. Mm -hmm. That's a problem in how our media is very fragmented now. And I think all of that's contributing to this growing uh, distrust across all developed countries right now. And how, how long do you think this goes before we hit a tipping point? Uh, I, honestly, I, I, I don't even know that I could speculate. What, what I do want to say is on that technology advancement, and whether it's Moore's Law or wherever you want to look at it, um, ethics trying to keep up with technology, um, the way that the technology is speeding up, n we're going to play catch up across the board, whether it's laws regulating technology, whether it's the science of ethics surrounding technology. So think ethics and artificial intelligence okay. and what gets attached to that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's a certain uh, AI tool that's in the news trending right now. Sure. Right. I, I love the fact that, oh, well, well remember the calculator? I, I remember being a student, and I won't say how long ago, where using a calculator, 
in my test or in the classroom was absolutely prohibited. Mm -hmm. uh, now yeah, you can right. just pull out your phone and use right. a calculator. So I, I, I think we're going to see those types of artifices begin to move along and everything else is just going to have to catch up. And I think it's that exponential advancement. So maybe there's no true tipping point. It's just the cyclical catch up, pull back, catch up, pull back. Mm -hmm. That's going to happen with regulation, with politics, with um, this cycle of distrust that needs to be, you know, broken. It's sort of like an addiction. Mm -hmm. You've got to mm -hmm. figure out a weak point within that cycle, and that and that's where you apply all of your resources. So, Don, you're um, you're closest to our spiritual sensei on this panel because okay. of your uh, because of your work. Um, I'll take it. And, <laughs> well, maybe not when I ask you this question. So again, we're talking about these tactical fixes that if we, you know, we present ourselves differently, we're open-minded, we do all these things, but yes, but I, I guess what I'm trying to understand is I'm thinking about the lessons that parents teach their children about behavior toward other people. And I know this sounds so old school, sure. but it kind of is. Um, when we are taught a certain thing and when we go into an environment or we go into the structure of an organization sure. and we bring that set of um, values and ethics into that organization, doesn't that have something to do with it? I think it does and the, the way that I would kind of flip that question or comment around is the res what's the responsibility of a leader? So if you lead an organization of 10 people, 10,000 people or 100,000 people or more, you have an amplification effect with your behavior, with your words, what you recognize within the organization. And so if Edelman is correct, let's assume that data is correct, that leaders in business now have a different set of expectations, then that means the way that we speak about one another, whether we agree or disagree, the way that we handle issues that happen in our company that become public. If you're laying off 10,000 people, do you just cut them on a Zoom, or do you have a thoughtful process that you have to make that tough business decision? So I think, quite frankly, is that leaders have a different responsibility to do the things that meet the financial standards, but do it in an empathetic way so that we can create new examples and new heroes mm -hmm. of what proper treatment of others, the human approach, if you will, to leadership and let that lead the way. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a, it's a bigger responsibility. Chris, um, I, I don't want to dismiss the media because the media is, is a utility and it's an important utility mm -hmm. since, the, since the dawn of the democracy. Um, what role does the media have to play in this? Well, in my lifetime, it, the media has gone from a relatively seen as neutral, objective reporter of facts, and somehow over the past 30 or 40 years, we've moved into this world where, again, like I said earlier, people can pursue whatever form of media reinforces their worldview even if the facts being reported on are completely are depicted completely differently. And I, I don't know how you put that toothpaste back in the tube. I mean, that's just a function of how technology and, and media trends have, have really evolved to this point. And I, I don't see it going back to the days of Walter Cronkite being, Cron Cronkite being the one voice that everyone respected right. and trusted. That, that's, that's not going to happen. So how do we manage around that? I mean, do you regulate this more? I, I really don't have the solid answers because I don't think this is an easy issue to address. But it's clearly one of those things that's contributing fundamentally to this lack of trust among the population because we all subscribe to our own opinions and information right. sources and, and there's a widening gap between those two things. 
Do you, do you, any, does anyone here stretch themselves when it comes to the media to say, you know, I traditionally go to X, Y, and Z in the morning and get my, get my input, I download what I need, but I ha let me try this one or let me try that one. Maybe, Sarah, somewhere you wouldn't normally check mm -hmm. uh, for another op-ed or know, another... I think, I think it's a great point. I mean, I subscribe... Do you? To, well, no, I do because I subscribe to the Wall Street Journal, I subscribe to the New York Times, I read them both every day as uh -huh. much as I can, yep. you know. Sure. And, you know, you can see two headlines about one issue that read completely differently. And I appreciate your question because I think I do need to continue to expand my own sources mm -hmm. of where I get information. And it needs to be, it needs to be from all perspectives. I think, Chris, going back to what you were saying just a minute ago, I, I think, you know, you still have kids at home, I still have kids at home, I think we have to be teaching them to think critically. Yeah. So that absolutely. they can go out to these right. various new because you're right, we're not gonna put the toothpaste back in the tube because obviously it pays for the media to take one side or the other. But how do I teach my kids right. to seek out diverse perspectives and then analyze that and yeah. think through it and then come Great. up with their own with their own conclusions on it. Mm -hmm. And the business community wants that. They want that critical thinking. And by the way, when you poll the business community, and I'm actually speaking more toward the South Carolina business community, right. um, even using a conservative pollster and you know making sure the questions are um, actually kind of tilted, right? Bias toward maybe evoking more of that conservative viewpoint on what a school's responsibility is. Nevertheless, more than 90% actually view those critical thinking skills as a co-shared responsibility mm -hmm. with the schools and, and you know, back at home. Uh, but Don, and we've got about four minutes. So Don, as Susie just said, if you, so again, if you want to be a convener, mm -hmm. You're going to put yourself in a position that you can be distrusted by both sides that you're trying to bring together. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so, how do, so how do you do that? I mean, how do you intentionally put yourself in harm's way to know that you might not be liked, that it might ostracize you? How do you still find, and I'm not talking about you necessarily, but how does someone find, courage is probably a little bit old school, but courage to say, I, I want to bring together the, uh, I don't, yes, you're right about this point. Yes, you're right about that but I wanna to bring together the idea that maybe you both have a point. And it sounds great for a script, but how do you actually do it? Yeah, in practice, and I'll be brief, what is the common thing that we both wanna to accomplish together? Yeah. And if we find that, then the how-to can be something we can discuss and debate. But you've gotta have some common focus, whether it's revenue, whether it is membership growth, whether it is more kids that have better childcare, whatever that common theme is then you can evoke a lot of different ideas around that theme. But somebody's got to help narrow down the discussion so that it is very pointed and principled, and then you can bring other voices and have a healthier debate. It, that's, it's, again, I want to go back to how do you get subscription from people that will do that when they know that you, this is going to be really uh, ethereal, but when maybe you, Don, don't have their back as they see it, but you're more interested in expanding the dialogue and not just their point of view. And they're friends of yours or they're colleagues of yours. Yeah, friends or colleagues I think are actually simpler because you can really look and say, Chris, for this next 30 minutes, let's just use this sheet of paper blank. Mm -hmm. And let's figure out how you and I can get over there. And let's do it together. Right, if we're friends or colleagues, even if we have different right. points of view, that is an easier thing to do than we would think. 
right if you set the tone in the dialogue of the conversation appropriately and I've seen that work in a lot of different conversations if you have a broad array of things you're trying to discuss then people will naturally take their personal preference on it mm -hmm. but if you say this is where we need to get to in the next 30 40 minutes of this meeting how do we want to get there together and let's put these things on the table and let the best idea fight it out and you find that works more than it doesn't it works more than it doesn't okay. because at the end of the day we're actually more alike than we're different. We just allow the media and some outside things to, to focus on our differences. Okay. We actually want a lot of the same things. We want to educate our kids, we want to get promoted at work, we want to have a retirement right that we can plan for. Most people have some of the same basic things that they want. We've got about a minute left, so I just want to go around quickly. Chris, are you more encouraged that we're going to get through this lack of trust and we'll be able to reverse that? I am, despite what the stats say, I have the unique privilege of traveling all over North Carolina and spending time in all kinds of communities, different sizes, urban, rural, and when you're in these towns and you spend time with the people and you see that to Don's point, they're, they're generally all united around doing something that helps their community. That, that gives you a lot of energy, gives you a lot of optimism and hope. Whatever the stats say, and I have no doubt that given a survey question, people would answer that way, but maybe the way they conduct themselves in real life with their neighbors and their fellow residents actually looks a little bit different, and that's what gives me some amount of optimism. Can we turn the cynicism ship, you think? Yeah, I think that we can. I mean, we see that all the time in the work that we do because we are dependent upon community volunteers to serve the community. And if you get people right. of differing viewpoints doing exactly what you said, Don, where you're focusing on one thing, whether that's serving a meal, whether that's, that's right. stuffing a bus, what, no matter what it is, that's a great starting point is that's serving right. together. Okay. And if mm -hmm. we can get back to that. 30 seconds, what do you think? You know, and, and I still think there's a delineation between distrust of institutions, whatever those institutions may look like, um, and, and distrust of people. Because we again, again, we get back to that community, That's that right. local linking piece. Um, you know, I trust business, or even those who may have said, you know, responded, who said, I distrust business. At the end of the day, if you ask, do you trust your coworker? Mm -hmm. Yes. Do you trust your boss? Yes. Yeah, but it, it goes from there. Thank you, yep. Susie, and thanks for being our spiritual sense. Yeah, I'm into it. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> Guru Doc. Yes. Yeah. Good to it. see you all. You as well. Yeah, I mean, this is good to see everybody. This is great. This is really good to see you. Thanks for coming, Chris. Thank you for watching our program. Questions or comments? CarolinaBusinessReview.org. Good night. Gratefully acknowledging support by Martin Marietta, Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, Sunoco. High Point University, Colonial Life, the South Carolina Ports Authority, and by viewers like you. Thank you. For more information, visit carolinabusinessreview.org.